The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Bike Goes On. This is Brian Casey with uh, Sondra Bernstein, where we talk about all things food. If you can eat it, we want to talk about it or yes, drink we it. Do. Um, we do. We do. <laughs> I wanted to say that we are going to talk about omotenashi today. Did you practice how to say that? No, but I kind of used my best sort of racist accent that I could think of. <laughs> Did he do a good job? That was the pronunciation's good. Thank you. Yeah, yes. I, Woo. I don't even know what that meant. Well, but we're going to find out. Yeah. Okay. Well, you want to introduce our guest? No, I do not. Okay. Then I will. <laughs> but um, I, it is our very nice pleasure totally. to have someone who is way busier than a million people at once. <laughs> yeah. Um, Kyle from Single Thread, Chef Kyle. I, I can never pronounce your last name for the life of me. Connaughton. 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 Is that what you said? You said, oh, Connaughton. No, that's no. not what oh. I said. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is, it, it is so fun. I don't remember. I mean, we met Thanksgiving years and years ago at um, Abby and Dean's house when they had the test kitchen. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know how many years that, that is. That was when we first came to Sonoma County, so it would have been what uh, year maybe ish? seven or eight years ago now. So, yeah. yeah, and that was so much fun. It was just like a real family Thanksgiving, and there were lots of different dishes. And um, I did have, you made something that night that was so freaking delicious. I can't remember what it well, was. Well, tell people who, Abby and Dean, so that's Borgioni, Borgioni, right? Borgioni, uh, Annadelle State, State Winery. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Um, and that was really fun. I mean, and, and that's really the first time that I heard about you. Um, and you were, I don't know, maybe we can start with the test kitchen and then how it evolved, or we can start with, you know, when you step back foot on the USA. Yeah. Well, we moved back. That was kind of right when we moved back to Sonoma County, uh, to Sonoma County, we're living in the UK at the time. And, um, you know, really that was the start of, we needed to have really our feet on the ground to find what eventually was going to be the farm and the restaurant and the, and the inn. And that was a few year process to figure that out. And, and then, you know, a few years in construction. So yeah, it was, uh, Mm -hmm. it was a, it it was a process that we came back and we wanted to really grow roots here in Sonoma County. And, uh, we knew that it was going to take time. And, we had been going back and forth and coming to Sonoma County for so many years from wherever we were living in Japan for years and and outside of London for five years. And every year we would make sure that we were here and we would just rent a car and drive around and kind of, you know, try to understand everything um, Mm -hmm. about it because we had fallen in love with Sonoma County when we were 23 years old. Actually, we were coming back from getting married. My wife and I are both from Los Angeles. We've been together since we were 15 years old. Which is and, unreal yeah. in itself. Right. How does she put up with you? I don't know. Yeah, she's, she's amazing. She's an amazing woman. She is amazing. Yeah, yeah. I love and her. More, and, yeah, in many, many ways. Yeah. That being the, the biggest one. And uh, we were just kind of like these young kids in, in love. And we went up and we got married on the Mendocino Coast. So mm. out on the headlands, on the uh, end of the headlands. Uh. Um, and... Uh, it was amazing, and we really we planned our whole wedding around going to eat at Chez Panisse, because I grew up working at Luke and AOC for Suzanne mm-hmm. Goyen okay. and Campanile for Nancy Silverton and Mark Peel and and Spago and all those <clears throat> chefs who had come through there 
and come back down in Southern California and brought a lot of what was sort of happening in Northern California and was happening there um, down to Los Angeles. And so it was kind of this like pilgrimage as a young chef to go there. So we planned our whole wedding around going to eat at Chez Panisse. And so we got married out on the Mendocino Highlands, uh, Headlands. And then on the way back driving to Berkeley uh, the next day, we kind of Healdsburg ended up being halfway in between. And so we pulled mm-hmm. off the 101. We're like, let's go into this town and get something to eat. And, you know, there was no Google searching anything no, then. So no, it was yeah. like, it's not like you could just look on no. whatever, <laughs> where should we go to eat? Which is like, let's get off in this town and explore. And we drove in and like came into the square and it was like something like, this is it. This is the place. And I don't know if we were just caught up in the whole getting married and love and going to shape and East and just the, all the excitement of that. But you know, something about that, something about that town and something about Sonoma County, we just completely fell in love with it. And from that moment on, we were completely fixated, um, on it. And, um, uh, and yeah, and, and keep kept coming back. But you know, like I said, eventually we just said, we just have to move there. No plan, no investors, no job, no anything, just it's time. It's time. It's time to go back and uh, after many many years of working and building our uh, uh, experience all, all around the world it was like now it's time to build our something for ourselves i always um you know when i talk about single thread or i talk about you guys which i do occasionally because i'm so proud and happy for you but i typically would say you have been the person behind all these people that have made their names for themselves and that I think it is so fitting and so well earned and deserved that now you are you know you're you you get to you guys get to do your thing and like fill your dream and you know got to pick and choose what you wanted to bring with you from all the chefs and I think it's really amazing. I mean, talk about like an American dream. I mean, this is it times like a hundred, you know, I mean, to do it, but you set forth and you kind of knew. And I think that's something, you know, that Brian in, in his research is like, oh my God, you like the attention to detail and every nuance. I, well, that's, you know, working in restaurants, you learn that the devil is in the details and it's it's little things that that make a huge difference and it's things that you can control there's things in a restaurant sometimes as, especially as a server when you're in the front of the house that you can control you want to grab onto those things that you can control those things you can't control that i mean will come up but those things you can control you, you can control if there's toilet paper in your bathroom right. Um, you can control if there's crumbs on the seat when people come to sit down. There's little things. But they just take it to another level. It's almost like Kyle worked at a bunch of different restaurants and was sort of taking notes everywhere he was and then decided when they um, opened the restaurant, okay, let's incorporate all of our favorite things that, I mean, the lights change seven times during service and are, are they know but what you time would of not, year I would is. not notice that. I would not yeah, notice Yeah, well, you're not supposed change. to notice exactly. it. That's, right, I think that's right. the thing about... A lot of those details and a lot of what we call the sort of multi-sensory aspects of the dining experience is that, um, you know, there are so many details and there are so many things that are going on, but you have to build those things around the guests um, experience and then allowing them to experience themselves and the dynamic at the table and what they want to experience. But if you're constantly overtly sort of showcasing all of these things that you do, then 
you know, one, I think they lose what's really special about them. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and two, then it, it actually detracts away from the experience that they're trying to have. Right. And so while all of these tiny, tiny details are incredibly important, um, they're actually better sort of like unseen mm-hmm. and then what I kind of call is this like kind of like the like the gotcha moment or like the aha moment. It's like the if you have these things where it's like if it was a magic show, it would be the part where the magician goes, ta-da, then mm. you've <laughs> actually really not serving the guests well. You're actually then serving right, yourself. yourself, exactly. Right, and that's like your own sort of like ego e- to yeah. say like, look what we did. You wouldn't have thought that we would have known how how about this or how this you know could work for you, but we did and we want you to take. And they may actually go, oh yeah, that's pretty cool in the moment, but actually it doesn't really resonate. So. You know, it's really, um, you know, it's really important that you're really thinking about, you know, what is the guest experience and what the experience that they want to have. And, you know, different guests are, uh, you know, everyone wants to have a great time and everyone wants to have a really good experience. But everyone is so different. And, you know, we use this Japanese phrase called the kuki no yomu in Japanese, but it means uh, to read the air. We don't really have a sort of similar phrase, but that's basically what what it translates to. And that's really for the service team to understand very, very quickly the dynamic amongst people at every table. So, you know, you have a couple who's on a sort of romantic date. You have, you know, old friends, you know, from college who are getting Mm -hmm. together and they just want to catch up and talk. Or you have a business situation Mm -hmm. where you have super foodies who are like want to know every single detail. You know, and all these things are happening right next to each other. And you you need to change and shift everything that you do. Uh, to really best, you know, fit, uh, you know, that um, uh, that moment. And so every every detail, I guess it was every detail is not the same for every person. It ne- really needs to be needs to be tailored, uh, you know, to each each individual and each sort of group individually. Yeah, I think um, should step back one second, because now, you know, you did your journey and we can go back and revisit. But um, Kyle and your wife, Katina, the owners of Single Thread Restaurant, which is on what? Northwest corner? Uh, North Street and uh, Center and Hillsburg. Right on the corner. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about like the perfect location. I mean, just yeah. phenomenal. Um so, you know, single thread, I would say, has garnered more attention um, that I've ever seen. I mean, you know, I mean, Thomas Keller gets a lot of kudos and whatever, and he's doing a lot of restaurants and a lot of projects. But you guys came in and did this incredible masterpiece and... People want to write about it. People want to talk to you like us. We were like, we want to talk. Um, and I think it's incredible. People, but but we say the same thing to our staff on such a different level. It's all about the experience. I mean, at the end of the day, people are coming to eat. And whatever else happens in that eating time, whether, you know, it's getting yourself from a bad mood to a good mood or you know thinking about where you need to be next or whatever it is but it's all about what the guest is wanting and I think the staff has to really understand how to be you know a psychiatrist or a therapist or be able to just see they don't want me here or they do want me here they want me to smile they want me to you know make them feel like they're the most important person in the world 
And I think that we a lot of restaurants forget that. Yeah, I, I think what gets forgotten oftentimes, especially by chefs and especially about in a, like our little tiny corner of the industry that that we occupy is that, um, you know, we get so wrapped up in the food and the dishes and the cuisine and what we're trying to say and our unique voice within, you know, the cuisine that oftentimes I think we as chefs forget that guests are not coming to experience that in us and the cuisine, even though they are they are coming to experience themselves and they're coming to experience the people that they're with and they're coming to, to, to do something. Um, and the food is only one part of that. So it's an incredibly important part. The service, like the technical details are mm-hmm. an incredibly important part of that. The wine is an incredibly important part of that, but it is not the main reason right. why people want to spend, you know, three, three and a half, four hours, you know, dining. And, um, and even if it is thinks that it is, I want to come and see this, uh, you know, the chef's food. At at the end of the day, they're really there to have have an, an experience. And so, you know, we need to remember that that we're we're there here to provide for for people and to take care of them. And that's why we really built the restaurant in such a way that we wanted it to be more like you were coming to a dinner party in our home because mm-hmm. that's what we're the most happiest doing is taking care of people and having people there and talking and cooking and it's like our most fun things and our fun memories are to like these kinds of experiences. And that, that sort of like feeling often gets like lost in the world of fine dining where it becomes too rigid and too just about like perfection. And, 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 and while that's like, those things are important, like the sort of heart and the warmth and the sort of genuine hospitality is like really what it's all about. And so, you know, we wanted to have this experience where you could come and really feel like you were coming into uh, you know, into our, our home, and however much you want to interact with that aspect of it or not is completely up to you as a guest. But that that sort of like warmth and that innate, you know, genuine hospitality that you really felt what like whatever your dietary restriction is, whatever your allergen is, whatever your dynamic is at your table, whatever you're trying to celebrate or whatever you're trying to do, that we're there to facilitate that in a way that's sort of like on the out on the outside, supporting from from the outside but but also aligns with who you are and and the vision that you created yeah yeah I mean and obviously it's a very strong vision of what we do and it's uh you know we have to do everything for the guests within the sort of confines the box that we built but within that box actually there's a lot of flexibility I mean that's something that I sort of learned about creativity and especially in my years running the R&D kitchen at the Fat Duck where it was like we can do anything so like what and that was actually amazing but at the same time it was actually you say so then what should we do Mm -hmm. and then you know you kind of learn that when you have like a bit of a box that you build yourself and you build structure and you build architecture then within that you kind of have infinite creativity you have infinite flexibility Mm -hmm. and so um you know balancing those two things is so you know really important like what's the rigidity and like what's the flexibility within that rigidity so when you were traveling and as you were working your way to creating your dream did you have like a journal like when you had an idea that you thought would be appropriate for once you launched you would like the day you got an investor the day you were like oh we're taking this spot we're doing it you open up a folder I didn't really you know that's funny I'm not a good 
journal. I'm not. A, I don't take a lot of notes. I think it's I've more work by, you know, how these things make me feel, and um, and it's not that I have the world's best memory, but it's just. It, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but I, I haven't r- really gone through and just been like, I like this detail. We will do this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just more of like over the years, just sort of like collecting and sort of feeling and shaping in your mind. And eventually you do need to get that all on paper. Mm-hmm. But when it was time to get that down all mm-hmm. onto paper, which actually be that process of doing that is what led to our, our name, uh, because once it finally all did come out, there was it seemed very complex and very complicated to explain to someone else, in particular an investor. And so, you know, we had to say, well, there's this one single thread that connects all of these things, you know, together between the farming and the restaurant, and the food, and the you know, all these different things. And that is the hospitality, and that is this sort of like this this spirit of hospitality and this taking care of people and this I, this feeling that you're not coming to a three Michelin star restaurant, you're coming to a dinner party in someone's um, you know, home, but, you know, because Katina and I had been together since we were 15 years old and I started my career not, not long after that, um, you know, in high school cooking, that's all I've ever done. Uh, it's all I ever wanted to do. And it's all I ever wanted to do since I was like nine years old. That's amazing. Anyways. And so, you know, it was like a bit of a singular focus that we knew even as teenagers, like someday, Mm-hmm. We're going to have our own, you know, restaurant thing. And so that's like, that's the first thing that gets like thrown way out in the distance. And then over time, that then there's, as you know, we experience things, we said, well, we want to have an inn as part of that because we love these very, these experiences that are like this, like not a hotel. Sleepovers. Like this, like the ability to cook breakfast for people and extend that hospitality and it's like you know we just love like when we'd have like friends over that we hadn't seen for a long time cook for them at the home and they'd stay over and you make breakfast it was just like and then be like you know what what should we do plan a day you know like curating someone's experience we just like Mm -hmm. love those doing those kinds of things and we get to do that um at single thread and then as katina's agricultural um uh career you know took off then that was like then also you know we're going to incorporate the farm, you know, part to this. So, you know, those, those things, you know, built, but being together for so long, you know, 15, we, you know, kind of started at 15, late teens, kind of start with this vision and we didn't open single thread until we were 40. So all of these years of, uh, you know, of living in Japan and living in Europe and traveling and, and getting to eat at so many different places and stay, you know, at these places and just every time, just constantly talking about what, what do you like, you know, mm-hmm. do you, do you like this? Did you not like this? You know, what, you know, how does that make you feel? You know, like that was a great detail. Like, Oh, that moment was amazing. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't so much like, how can we replicate? How can like right, do that? It was like, what's our version exactly, of that? Exactly. You know? it, yeah. So uh, just to tell you like one brief story, it was coming, uh, was in uh, coming to Thailand one time in Bangkok and had been a long week of a project actually that was with Fat Duck in Australia. You know, back, we stepped in Bangkok for a couple of days on the way home. Uh, to go and eat at a bunch of uh, restaurants and was just got off the plane and it's so hot and it's like oh my gosh it's like not like a sort of temperature and humidity that you're used to and um and uh, after like a week of being on the road already and just really really tired from everything and went to the the hotel you know got in the cab went to the hotel got out of the cab 
walked into the door of the hotel and there's like a long hallway to get to where the check-in was and someone handed us in this tiny ice cold glass of this amazing mm-hmm. sweet tangerine juice these have these beautiful mm-hmm. tangerines in thailand and it was like just cold and sweet and acidic and it was like walked in someone handed to you and by the time you got to the check-in you had finished that and it was a complete transformation of how i felt from this like small mm-hmm. thing of anticipating that how they would know i would feel mm-hmm. how any guest would feel coming getting right. stepping off from that heat and knowing like the portion size for the amount of and the temperature and the acidity and everything like that to get to that by the time i got them like my whole i was like oh yeah i'm ready i'm in thailand i'm, I'm so excited yeah. you know and it was like so that like the whole like that small tiny moment of hospitality had this huge impact on us to where um when when everyone comes to, to single thread we do not have a check-in process there mm-hmm. is no computer mm-hmm. there is no look up your name there's no like i'm sorry do you have a reservation mm-hmm. we need to know who you are we anticipate who you are we can see you, that you're arriving and so it's immediately into the kitchen window and hand you a mm-hmm. drink and if it's cold outside the drink is hot if mm-hmm. it's hot outside the drink is cold we anticipate the weather and how guests are feel so and in those ways you know we did collect those little mm-hmm. you know things i but remember then try the to, apple try to make it yeah. our own yeah i remember having warm warm apple that was just who knows what else was in it but it was just like i agree it's just such a great welcome well, normally people are escorted up onto the roof, or is that something that just happens in the summertime? Well, we try to use the roof as much as we can. Um, and so, you know, during the winter and during the rainy season, um, you know, we have, uh, obviously with that closed, but, um, but uh, we have so much great weather. And, you know, here that typically a guest will come, arrive, go to the rooftop first, and that really allows guests to really, like, relax and decompress. Um, and that was a big part of the beginning experience but the whole experience is just like this idea of decompression and you know what what's the value of these these experiences and these like these moments um in in our life um and people need the time and the space to relax and decompress and disconnect kind of a little bit from the outside world and kind of reconnect with the people that they want to dine with so you know we always really love these experiences where there was movement within the experience and there was like this ability to kind of ease your way into it. I mean, if you think of like, if you go to a city restaurant, let's say, and you're stuck in traffic and you're running late for your reservation Mm -hmm. and you're like, you know, it starts getting really, really stressful. And in the car, you're like, Oh my gosh, we should have left earlier. Whatever that can't find a parking spot. Exactly. (laughs) And so, you know, all of these things, and then you, you get in and you you know you're 10 minutes late and you get to the host stand look up your reservation sorry we're running late and they sit you down and then it's like okay well here's your menu here's your wine let's start making decisions and it's like you need you're not ready yet right you need like 30 minutes to sort of like Mm kind of like unwind and get into what's going to happen next so you know we, we always wanted to create have this ability for the guests to have this sort of decompression so that was why we built the rooftop gardens so you know you could experience our agriculture learn a little bit about that orient yourself to where you are in sonoma county if you're not from here to kind of Mm -hmm. see because from our rooftop you can really see where the different avas are in north sonoma county 
Um, and just to have like a no like decision making period of time, like Mm -hmm. you don't need to immediately look at the wine list. There's nothing to choose for the menu. It just Mm -hmm. hang out, have a glass of, you know, sparkling wine and, and just like enjoy the sort of like beauty, relax. And, and then, you know, once you're ready and then that can begin. And, And we do that differently. Just again, just depending on the weather and guests sometimes. If it's really hot, actually, we will have guests come in and we'll hang out with them for a while and have a drink and then bring Mm -hmm. them um, in and then finish on the roof for the sunset. So Mm -hmm. it's again, it's all like weather, guests, timing, timing, like whatever is best, you know, for for them. It's like we're trying to like curate a great experience for them. How do you how do you stay really up and positive? Um you know, to do that time and time again? Uh, I guess, I mean, we just love it so much and mm-hmm. feel very privileged and honored that we get to like live what mm-hmm. our dream was. And we worked very hard to it and, uh, you know, to get to it. And we're working even harder now that it's a reality. But, um, you know, I, I think it's it's such a pleasure and a privilege to do what it is that mm-hmm. we do. And every day we get to make people happy. It's so incredibly fulfilling. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have this open kitchen, which is as much for the guests to watch and to see what mm-hmm. we're doing. And that's about authenticity and about transparency that they can actually see the, what, what we're, what we're doing. And, you know, transparency is so important in, in everything um, that, that we do. But also for us, not only myself, to be able to look out and to see the guests and interact with them and have them come in the kitchen or or us come out, but really, too, for the team to understand, like, they're making food for people, for humans who are celebrating (laughs) and doing something. It's not a ticket that pops up and you just make whatever the ticket says and send it through some swinging door, right? It's, you know, it's very important to, uh, you know, to have that, um, uh, you know, that, that openness and um, sharing. Sorry, I forgot the question. What were you talking about? I'm just like mesmerized listening to what you're saying. I was just like, I found that over the years, sometimes I really, I struggle with, you know, seeing guests and answering questions and, you know, being able to smile all the time. And, you know, I step out, you know, when I feel like I can't do that in the way. And but our training has been very focused on the guest experience. It doesn't matter if you mess up, accidents happen, mistakes happen, but we care that people are there. They yeah. could have gone anywhere, you yeah. know. And the fact that they're coming to us, it is a privilege. It's it is an honor. Yeah, it, it, you know? it really is. I mean, it's just I'm so so thankful. Every day the guests come in and I love to interact with them and at the same time I'm not like I you I have to interact with you. I it's I'm 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 there and I'm happy to and also I'm there and happy for for you know people to be like have their privacy too. So um the um in in a lot of ways sometimes I don't want to bother uh uh people even if I'm you know just a few feet away from uh they are just again it just depends on um on them but you know I'm so thankful and not just from the financial end because you know you're coming in and you're spending a lot of money to dine there and that's my livelihood and it's Mm -hmm. what's putting my kids through college and that's it right and all those things although I am incredibly grateful for that it's it's just really more that you know this this, the life that we're living is 
you know, our dream to be farming the way that we believe is right, to be cooking the way that we feel is right, to be serving guests the way that we feel is right, to, you know, to be able to be mentoring young, you know, chefs and, and, and everyone who's coming up in the dining room and giving them an experience that I hope that when they leave, they take out in the industry exactly. and help shape their careers and, 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 you know, a better future, you know, for our industry, you know, I'm incredibly, you know, thankful, uh, you know, for that, but just, you know, that we get to live this, you know, this dream through, uh, you know, through, through them because without the guests, the dream doesn't exist. Exactly. Right. And, and you never, can't ever lose sight on that. And, and we're all constantly talking about, it's like, you know, it's every day and this is true at every restaurant, right. But it's like every day you have X amount of guests who are coming that night, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, I, I don't I don't like words like covers and stuff right. like that. When you say like, oh, how many or covers cus- do we customers. have tonight? You yeah. know, it's like cover. Like those are you right. say fifty covers. That's fifty human beings. Right. They're guests in our home, right? They're not right. like we, that's not a word. That's not in our lexicon, you know, to you know, to use. It's like the every day we're throwing a dinner party in our home, our collective home, not just mm-hmm. Katina and I, our collective right. home. These are the guests that are coming over. These are the things that they need, the restrictions that they have, and we're going to do our best to make sure that they have an amazing time. Just like if you were going to have people come over to your home for a dinner party, you want mm-hmm. to make sure that they have an awesome time. They're coming to your home. It's just that right. we do that every single day. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and I think <clears throat> excuse me, Sandra's good at that. Is 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 putting forth that culture or that intention. You know, working with her, she was the one that always sort of set that intention of these people are coming here as our guests. And um, so so when you first opened the restaurant, were you hiring people that you knew sort of had that similar mindset? Or was that something that you did, you know, in training before you opened the restaurant? Like, hey, guys, this is the way we approach the restaurant industry. Yeah, it was. I mean, we were very thankful that we had a lot of press leading up to the restaurant so it was like a kind of like a long lead yeah, up yeah. so it was interesting because it was like people who that spoke to they kind of just found their way they made their way to they Hillsburg. made their way right it was yeah, like their pilgrimage what, what you, it was a field of dreams or something <laughs> yeah, right if it you was, build uh, it they will come yeah. um, and so you know that was you know single thread was our cornfield you know baseball diamond or whatever mm-hmm. and and um and I, I really can't describe it, but it was like, it really wasn't people that I had worked with. And in fact, I, th- I thought it was better to not have history right. with people where we could reference something that we had done before. And I had worked with so many amazing people all over the world and just incredible sommeliers and chefs, and service team members and stuff like that. But I really wanted to find something where we could build something from the start and didn't have any sort of like historical anything that we could start from zero and build and one of the incredible things was is that our house uh at the time we've since moved but our house was a couple like hundred the feet yeah. from the did you ever come there no ever? but i remember you referencing yeah we just live right yeah over there. yeah yeah we had this really great house and it was like right by the restaurant and it had this whole open floor plan um uh ground floor and it was like an open kitchen and a tent top dining room table next to the kitchen in our living room and so in the early days the chefs who started in the gm and the sommelier while we were building and we were in construction everyone was working and getting ready for like up to a year in advance. Some people were like nine months and eight months and six months out. But 
we hired our whole like management team, like basically like a year ish wow. out wow. and carried that payroll as, as part of our development costs. Wow. Yeah. But it was incredibly important and I would have done a hundred percent done it again. And no, no one ever like bat an eye to the fact that we were going to do that. Um, because we created this culture and it's not, it wasn't necessarily planned out specifically this way. Like in advance, we said, we will do it this way. Mm -hmm. It just organically and naturally happened that everyone was working out of the house. The restaurant was a construction site because the Mm -hmm. building was being built. So you couldn't really work from there, but everyone had their job to do. My home kitchen became our development kitchen Mm -hmm. and we were throwing these dinners development dinners we call them for basically for investors and people and sometimes media and and, and things at the house so basically so guests would arrive they mm-hmm. would go over take a tour of the construction site mm-hmm. whatever how and whatever state it was they would go to the rooftop and then get a little glass of champagne and a few bites and then be messaged over and the chefs and everyone would be back at the house and they'd be setting up the first course uh. on the table and then we bring everyone back and then they'd sit down and they'd sit down to this first course, which is now kind of like always, always what I do is kind of like become the unique thing that we do at Single Thread, the way that we serve our first course with all of Katina's floral and the wood and um, all yeah, the little exclusive. small dishes. And uh, and then we would go and we would do we would do the the whole menu and we would test things out and try you things out. You would do out. the whole menu out of your house kitchen? Yeah, yeah for, for 10 guests. That is unbelievable. For, for 10 guests, basically like... Basically, like once a week, we were like constantly, and that was oh. how we developed dishes and the menu and the style. Right. Got everyone and just tested everything out and the pairings, and and everyone would do everything, get dressed up in mm-hmm. full whites and suits and everything. Mm-hmm. It was like like it was the restaurant, and um, and it was really great and a lot of fun and really um, amazing. But we built that culture there, mm-hmm. and they because they were literally in my home. I mean, it was like yeah. at the time it was like my sixteen-year-old daughter uh-huh. had to live through all of that, you know. And we like <laughs> we lived upstairs, and that we turned our whole home over, yeah. you know, to uh, you know to the process. And I mean, people could just come and go. They didn't. They had their own key, or yeah, they never locked yeah, the door, right? Yeah, it was yeah. just like you know you. Everyone you always would come down in the morning the and, you know, and, uh, you know, my poor daughter should be going like leaving for high school and she'd come down, there'd be like a couple chefs in the kitchen and she was like, I just, can I get something, An apple. Eat, you know, and they're, <laughs> you know, in their testing dishes, uh-huh. but, um, uh, you know, it, it was actually a lot of fun and, uh, the creative process was amazing. But what was so great was, is that it, it, it built this sort of core, like this is who Kyle and Katina are and this is what their home is like and this is what the feeling we are. And then we just, we moved it across the street. We yeah. just, mm-hmm. and then, and and never stopped. And we just added people to that. And the opening team, they got to experience a bit of that and bring that over. And, you know, we just had this incredible group who just took to it right away. And, you know, f- we're very fortunate to find a, a group of individuals who had a very innate sense of genuine hospitality because there's a lot of amazing people in our industry and they're not stiff. I but, mean, yeah. Well, not, that was the whole thing. It was yeah, like to be not, real, to exactly. be real people, you yeah. know, technically they are very good at their job. Yeah. They, they obsess over every single little, you know, service detail. I mean, if there's like a certain way that a spoon gets, goes down and gets picked up and something's off about it, I mean, they'll have a group 
unprompted 15 minute <laughs> meeting to right. discuss it. you know right. they're, they're very harder on very themselves. hard yeah. on themselves about mm-hmm. their technical details but when it comes to just being human they're very uh, you know they're just they're so they're so warm and genuine mm-hmm. and, and we are just feel so fortunate of the people who did find their way to us mm-hmm. and continue to find their way um you know to us it's you know we've just created a certain culture and it's not for everybody Right. Everybody out right. there, you know, who wants to work at that three Michelin star level, but you know, for three Michelin for the star. people who Did do you it, you know, it, it's you know, for the people who who love it and speak to it, it's like like us. It's like I, I can't couldn't do it any other way. Mm. You know? What was it like when you opened the restaurant? Did you start with investors in mind, or were there people that were that you knew or friends of yours that wanted to invest, or did you have to actively seek out uh, some of the investors? Yeah, I mean, actively seek it out. I had a good friend um, uh, from from New York uh, who who was in the commercial real estate uh, business, uh, third third generation, um, and. But he really struck out on his own and wanted to do something completely different from his family. He worked on a variety of different amazing projects, and he and has has and has continues to have this amazing vision of various things that um, that he wanted to do. And um, I, I helped him out on um, just on some kind of he wanted to really understand what chefs were like were looking for in terms of like more on like the real estate side and like like what is you know it was just like it's not just like a vanilla white box Mm -hmm. like what do chefs want like what do they you know need to um you know to be successful um and so i kind of helped him uh you know through that because i was doing a number of different like kind of consulting projects uh you know after i had left the fat duck and before we opened single thread that was a kind of a Mm -hmm. sizable gap of time you know to to sort of uh you know fill um uh so um, you know, as we got to know each other and he was saying, you know, why don't you come out to New York city and we can open, you know, open a restaurant for you here. And I said, no, come out to Sonoma, <laughs> Find <laughs> see me what spot. we do. Yeah. And he and his wife had actually <laughs> uh, completely separately had taken a trip together to Sonoma and had stayed in Healdsburg at Honor Mansion had also fallen in love oh. with it. And so, um, so he really not only helped to sort of kick off the investor, Thing, but because his background was in real estate development, he was really the piece that I, I didn't have, you mm. know, that that Katina and I didn't have. And we had agriculture and cooking and the vision and the idea, but it was like actually making it, you know, happen. What was the real, you know, challenge? So, you know, really, he really helped us with the real estate and working with the design and the development and, you know, and the, the budgets and everything like that. And, you know, people like us are so fortunate to find people mm. like that who, you know, can do, you know, really do that mm-hmm. side and do it, do it well. Um, it, it's such a, that is also such, uh, has been such a blessing, you know, really. And then we just, you know, went through and we wanted to find investors who were like really believed in the vision and were really mm-hmm. interested in it and really understood, like, this is not going to be a flash in the pan right. thing. And not like, boom, boom, your boom, you're going to be making month. all your, exactly that this is like, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to be a part of something and we were very honest and we were very transparent about how, um, we were going to conduct our business and where how what where our priorities were going to lie, and uh, we were just very fortunate to find a lot of people who just wanted to support mm-hmm. it. Again, I think a lot like the people who came to work there, it was like it spoke to them, and they um, uh, and they've they were very supportive and have continued to be incredibly supportive. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I would, and you did, and was this real estate guy? Was he? Did he help you with like the investment plan? Or did yeah, you, yeah, with the investment plan with so, everything. Yeah, yeah he everything was able on that to end. like yeah. figure out like how people would get returns and what yeah, they. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. It's yeah. so complicated. Yeah. Um. You know, we don't have investors. I mean, I one of my brothers that you met. Um, and there, you know, it's a tricky thing. Like we've gone back and said, oh, if we do this new project, would we bring investors in? And we've always been able not to do that. Wow, um, that's cer- incredible. It's incredible, but certainly we're so not on a scale of what you needed to build a building from scratch and a farm from dirt. And, you know, I mean, those are a lot of things. I mean, we didn't do it that way. Um but yeah, I do feel really fortunate that I kind of don't, um, I don't want to say, oh, or be great, you know, be like constantly grateful for, um, because I think there's positive and negatives on oh, having yeah. investors. No, I mean, yeah. having investors is amazing. I mean, not only are these people helping you on the financial end to sort of capitalize what your vision is, but you now have however many you know, you have, in my case, it's like 40 yeah. people who are vested in yeah. your success. And they all have, uh, you know, unique backgrounds and skills and connections and various mm-hmm. things to, you know, assist when you need assisting. It, it turns out actually we haven't like needed, a, you know, a lot. And, and, and they're all very hands off and they're all very incredibly busy people. And mm-hmm. this is not the center right. of their universe, right. you know, at all. But they, you know, they, they believe in the vision and they believed in the team and, um, and they've been really happy to see what we've, um, what we've, uh, accomplished. And they also understand that to accomplish that and to continue to accomplish that, you have to continually make investments right. back into yourself. And there's, um, you know, and there's value in there, but you know, you, you now have these people out in the world who are, you know, advocating for you and helping mm-hmm. you, and Which and, and that's like, great. Yeah, and there's marketing something, team. Yeah, and yeah, yeah it, it it is, and it um, uh, and it uh, feels great, and we love to have them and cook for them, and and uh, uh, so um, so yeah, so uh, Tony is his name, my uh, mm. partner. He, hey, Tony. He really, um, <laughs> he really, you know, it, he helped uh, with that, and. And he understood that this was not going to be a restaurant that was going to try to like, well, let's just start little and we'll figure this mm-hmm. out and we'll grow. And then once we get that, then we can get to the next stage that we want to get to. It was like, Here we've we put in the time, 40 years old. We have a very clear vision. It's mm-hmm. we're doing it all from the beginning. Not that we're not, you know, growing and evolving and, and adding mm-hmm. more things on. We certainly are. But it was like, uh, you know, we wanted to be able to open the doors with like a fully realized vision. Right. Yeah. Well, can we talk about some of the fun stuff and kind of hear the stories of how they came about? Of course, Brian. Has this not been fun so far? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm having no. fun. <laughs> some I'm like, no, we have to we have to fulfill his research needs. Yes. Well, yeah, because when, you know when you start looking into some of these things and you're like, oh my god, how did they even think about this? Or how did you meet these people? So, so the Nagatani family, uh, eighth generation. Um, it's uh, who master, you wrote the book with, Master Potters. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you? find them or was it someone that you were familiar with when you were in Japan and you just decided you needed to reach out when you were ready to open the restaurant? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, we were there probably not probably, they are like the most important like artists and non-food artisan that we, we work with. And we work with, uh, you know, at the restaurant in Japan, about nine different main 
uh, artists, crafts, craftsmen, and then a lot of other, um, you know, smaller ones as well for, you know, various things. And then some that, that are, that are here, uh, as well, but the Nagatani family, they're, um, they probably have like the biggest hand in, in what we do at the restaurant in terms of our cooking, uh, style and some of our cooking techniques. So they make, uh, they're from an area in Japan that's in Mie prefecture. It's called Iga. It's a very rural, uh, uh, place about an hour and a half drive north of Kyoto. And they've been there for so many generations and this kind of style of Japanese clay pots called Donabe that they make there have been there for even much longer than that. And the reason why is, is for the terroir of the clay. So when I'm talking about Japanese pottery, um, I usually describe it to people like the AVAs that we have here, the AOCs, you know, in France is that it's, it's all like grapes Why you're growing various grapes and making different wine in different places pottery styles in japan are are different in different areas because of the clay that's wow. there that's so fascinating. i never would have thought about yeah. that yeah, yeah. so I it's you know they're they these uh you know the pottery styles and uh, are very regional and you can look once you get into it you can look at various uh you know styles even though an individual artist may have their own sort of expression you can see the clay body and know mm that you know this is from Iga or Shiga or Bizen or you can all these tell now like things. you can look and know. visually wow. yeah so because people will use the clay of their of their terroir mm-hmm. you know generally unless they're in a big city like Tokyo or something and they're doing something more um you know modern but the but the classical sort of like a regional just like you know you know if you're drinking a burgundy or Bordeaux right. you know uh right it's just kind of the uh, same thing so you know, what was unique about the clay in Iga is that it used to be the bottom of Lake Biwa. So the clay there is filled with all these fossils, tiny fossils. And so when you fire the clay, what happens is the clay dissolves and it leaves these little air pockets. So it makes a very porous clay. So what's developed over there, uh, you know, over the centuries has been these clay pots uh, and uh, for cooking. And uh, what's why they're so unique and why they're so relevant to our cooking uh, today and they are the main vessel in which we cook and we have a big open hearth fireplace and we use Japanese clay pots we don't use very many metal pots and pans we Mm -hmm. kind of use these different uh, you know clay pots so we have one that's designed for smoking and one for cooking rice and grains and one for steaming and other ones for simmering and all these uh, um, various things is that they um, uh when you heat them from the bottom, unlike metal, which just gets hot, localized to wherever mm-hmm. it's touching the flame, they actually store up the heat in their like porous body and then they transfer that energy all the way through. So they cook very evenly and very like sort of intensely and they use this like radiant heat uh, in, in the cooking and they can't be replicated with like a sort of like a cheap clay pot right. knockoff. It's very specific to this type of uh, clay body and they adjust it depending on what they're trying to do the shape and the porousness of the clay so it's very very it seems very like rustic and sort of like handmade and artisan which mm-hmm. it is they live a very very traditional life but it's also like incredibly precise and the sort of science behind it is it's incredible how it's developed over the generations so so, um, well, you know, in living in Japan, we live in the North Island, very, very cold. It's like the Arctic. It's kind of like the Alaska of, mm-hmm. um, of Japan. And, you know, we lived there for three years and the winters are very cold and long. How and did you end up there? I got a job working for Michel Bra, who's a chef from the south of France, who has a three-star restaurant in La Yole in the south of France. Mm-hmm. He opened his second restaurant in this, like, 
really cool remote. resort hotel property that was like in a very remote part of Japan, probably like oh. one of the more, more remote parts of Japan. Mm-hmm. And this property was to was really for people from like Tokyo and Osaka, the big cities, to go and like get away from it all, but mm-hmm. still have like a lot of like nice, like sort of like luxury right. things. So there was Kaiseki restaurant from Kyoto and a three star restaurant from France and a sushi restaurant from Sapporo, mm. so that they could really like kind of enjoy like nature and the remote, you know, areas. Uh, but you know, we ended up living in this little tiny fishing village that was like mm-hmm. at the base of it. Uh, a little ag village, which is where my wife started uh, her farming career. And we showed up there with our four-year-old and our nine-year-old in tow. And, wow. you know, lived in this little tiny village for um, you know, for a couple of years. And so we have this two-story house with only one small heater in there. So basically what everyone did, that was kind of like the same for everyone. I mean, it's pretty countryside uh, there. So everyone would cook on Donabe like during the winter. So you'd have mm-hmm. these like burners that you'd bring to the table in your hot pot, your clay mm-hmm. hot pot, and you'd turn it on and be simmering away, you know, cooking these, you know, kind of like stewy kind of things or shabu shabu type stuff, mm-hmm. all these different hot pots. And that really like warmed you up from coming in like the minus whatever it was mm-hmm. outside. But also like the steam and everything like that would heat your whole house. Sm- and the smell. And the smell mm. and it would all go, you know, up to the bedrooms on the second floor. And that was a big part of like just how you kind of kept warm up there. Mm-hmm. And we just fell in love with it. And it had, you know, we had had hot pots in Donabe because we had spent so much time in Japan in our lives. But but it was like when we really like lived it, it really like it had, we had this real family meaning to us. Um, and it was like how we met new friends and you know they in japan the kind of like our like breaking bread across the table f- for japanese is like do donabe you know mm-hmm. and people kind of it's such a formal culture that it's like people you get some sake and some beer going and mm-hmm. a hot pot going and things loosen up a little bit so it was a great way to make friends and you know i had this really great sort of family feel for us we just loved our hot pots and at the time i didn't know anything about ego we just bought them because mm-hmm. Were they there. were the great right. ones and they were, you know, they were there and we, and, um, and then we moved to England, we brought them all with us and, you know, it was like in the cold British thing <laughs> and we just kept that tradition. And one of my really good friends, uh, uh, Nakamore, uh, who I met, she moved from Tokyo to Los Angeles before I left and I was teaching at a culinary school down there before I moved to Japan and she was my student we became friends. Uh, and she had had this whole career as a sommelier and working in the record industry. And she stayed in Los Angeles and she also loved Anabe cooking and couldn't find any really resources for it within the U.S. And so she started spending more time with the Nagatani family and said, hey, I'd like to sell these in the U.S. for mm-hmm. you. Like there's no one has these. Mm-hmm. Like, And so um, she created this business to basically begin importing them and selling them online into stores. Now she has her own shop in yeah, Los Angeles and teaching classes on Donabe cooking. And she came out to visit me in England and we were cooking Donabe together. We both shared, had this passion for it. She said, do you want to go and meet the family? And I said, oh, oh yeah, God. absolutely. So uh-huh. we took a trip out there one of which became many trips out there to spend time with them and you know i've spent a lot of time living with that you know with that family you know writing the book about them but i i just felt so in love with their hospitality and the warmth that they you know conveyed and how 
you know, what I we had experienced as a family and with friends was like exactly what their intent was. Like they mm-hmm. make these vessels to cook in, but they, you know, they made, but with like the spirit of like for sharing and for this type of hospitality, hospitality. what really spoke to us. And they have this um, 200 plus year old home, which is actually th- their home and their kiln, their climbing kiln is designated as a, a world cultural site, which is different wow. than a world heritage site, but it's the same, same organization. And they have this open thing called the omoya, which means like the heart of the home in Japanese, like this big tatami open, you know, screen doors open to like this kind of like patio, beautiful Japanese gardens. And we would just go there and have these like long, every night, these long donabe dinners. Mm. And, you know, it was really, I was like, this is what's missing in fine dining. Mm -hmm. Like this, this sharing, everyone getting their own plate in this whole like, you know, just very individual and very, you know, just very compartmentalized, individually plated dishes. Like, this is like what I'm experiencing now. Like, this is like what I love about food. Like, if I could distill down like all mm-hmm. the amazing moments of having food, it's like this is what it's all about. It's like beautiful. It's like cultural exchange and people and human beings and cooking and in intent and just everything for a purpose and reason and and you know it was just like just these incredibly powerful and moving experiences you know you know for me and um you know i just i have to incorporate this into you know my cooking or i have to find a way or i have to leave fine dining Mm -hmm. and do something where this i can make people feel like this Mm -hmm. and if i have to get off of this track then maybe it's like i have to get off of this track but um you know, and th- these are like the kind of years now when we were in Sonoma and we're working towards the, you know, opening the restaurant, but it was still, you know, a ways away and we hadn't committed to anything, you know, yet. And then we just decided like, let's write a book about this mm-hmm. cooking technique and these people and let's share this like with the world. Like this, people know sushi and tempura, mm-hmm. and, you know, and even kaiseki and all these things like this. But this is like the most beautiful part of Japanese cooking. People don't really know about it. Um, and it doesn't just have to be about Japanese food. It's like this like right. idea of like sharing a hot pot at the table. It's just not mm-hmm. part of like a Western, you know, culture. Um, and so, you know, two year process of doing the book was so amazing. And through that process and, and, and working with them, they created so many pieces for the restaurant from dishware to the, you know, I have mm-hmm. hundreds of Donabe now and wow. all these various, <laughs> uh, um, uh, um, you know, and various uh, things, but you know, pots and vases for my wife and various, you know, things, you know, for the restaurant, they kind of created all these things and just, and, and led to like, to say, how can, what is a little bit more generally like a rustic and family style thing actually become part of a fine dining environment and not just a fine dining environment, but a fine dining environment that is not in Japan, that is also needs to be uniquely California and um yeah it, that was a really amazing process to go through to figure yeah, to figure that out yeah and, yeah when you were in uh japan did you ever get to nishima island no i've never been to nishima island oh, yeah my God. yeah yeah i took my mom there years ago and it is such an imprint on me still and actually my mom and i went we were going to the chichu museum mm-hmm. we were on a little bus going there and this other woman was 
on the bus going there with her mother and we became friends. She has a restaurant in Tokyo, which I just got to go to last year, which was, it's only like seven, eight seats. Mm -hmm. And she cooks very, they say she's the Alice Waters of Tokyo. (laughs) She cooks pate and, you know, real like (laughs) loves natural wines. And it was just really cool. She's been here a couple of times, but I, it's pretty incredible that Japan can be such varied experiences on so I mean just the fact that I met somebody who lives in Japan that we're still in touch with each other you know those connections I can't say I can say that about France quite a bit but it's just a real easy connection and pretty fabulous I totally recommend going there if you ever get a chance I mean the art it's just art 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 and yeah, art architecture yeah. people Ar- food architecture that yeah. die on dough and it's just fabulous but um i'd like to get back there yeah the i i was also thinking you know people that are in restaurants coming to single thread are probably looking for a very different experience than a guest that just wants to experience it I feel like we're constantly looking and evaluating and dissecting. I, I don't agree with that. That's okay. Um, I and I think it's one of those things when people have a sh- they know that you're a chef and you go to their house and there's sort of this anxiety of oh my god he's a chef like are we are we cooking the food is he gonna like our food when actually at most chefs i know we're happy if you if you <laughs> yes, make a hot dog right. for us yeah, yeah. But like Just i'm not doing anything give me peanut butter and jelly so yeah, i'm I fine think, i think being in the service industry yeah you i would sort of relax in that environment because i would know that they know how to take care of me and so well, I, I don't be, mean not relaxing yeah but that intellectual well not even critical but like that intellectual like this is your field this is what you do sure what and do to i mean go what can to I glean a master yeah, yeah you know versus i mean i guess what can i have an equivalent to well if you're a winemaker and you taste someone else's wine versus you're a accountant and you like wine but you order a, a nice bottle of wine I think it's kind of two different experiences. Yeah. Well, so, you know, it's funny reading. Uh, I've looked through uh, the Yelp reviews of Single Thread just to oh see no. what was. <laughs> because, okay. you know, we, we all in the restaurant industry, because mm-hmm. I didn't look on any other. I didn't look on TripAdvisor. I, didn't, I looked on Yelp because I wanted to see like, because we all know what Yelp is for, mm-hmm. for a lot of people. It's just a oh, place to unload. But what was hilarious is that my wife so my wife's sitting there she's like okay what are they how many stars i'm like five star five star five star Ooh, look 4.5 and, uh, and uh, <laughs> someone can do a point five. <laughs> she's <laughs> the review is really funny and it said um you know i would have given it five stars except the whatever it is that they served instead of miniardis there's some japanese equivalent oh, gosh, yeah, yeah, yeah it wasn't served, served with, with tea. tea with the tea it is now it, <laughs> Oh, see, really? there you go. That yeah. person. So now, was uh, that a, as a result of that review, or was that something you guys just hadn't thought about? Actually, it was some. It's interesting because I don't look at Yelp, and I tell everyone not to look at it. And I know that seems counterintuitive to say, like you should be paying attention to sort of everything. But I actually mm-hmm. think that it's a distraction. It is a distraction, and because it it has the ability to have you become focused and fixated 
on the wrong things and to begin to take things personally. Um, and uh, even though, well, that's great to hear. I mean, I don't even, uh, to be honest, I don't even know what our like Yelp ratings are. But it's interesting because, but the, you know, that's interesting. That's so funny that you bring up that one because I do know about that one in particular. Um, it's probably the only one bec- that's less than five. But no, it, no, there's, I'm, I'm sure there's, other. I mean, you're right, you can't, right, you can't, you can't be perfect for everyone, and, no, you know, and, you know, and the thing is, is the reality is, is not all experiences are right for everybody, and that's right. okay, right, and it's like, um, as much as we all strive to make everybody happy and to make mm-hmm. it a great experience for them, uh, you know, there's all kinds of other factors going on in people's lives, right. and it's just like, as much as we want to please everyone and we're people pleasers, we know that we, we can't, and that's a really difficult thing to come to terms with. And mm-hmm. I, I struggle with that too, but, um, but you know, it's just like not everyone's into into everything and it's, uh, and that's, that's just the way yeah, that life cool. is. Right. And yeah. that's why we all have different tastes and different interests and, and whatever. But, but it's funny, I, I know about that one because I've been wanting to do this. It's very traditional at the end of the Japanese meal, which we are not a Japanese restaurant, by the way, but it is, mm-hmm. you know, it is very traditional that when you have the, the very kind of like sweet bites at the end that you do serve it with a small amount of tea. It's a very typical thing. We have a coffee and tea menu. And so the idea was always like, we'll let the guests decide whatever it is right. that they want to have. Um, and so I don't want to double you order tea and then I give you tea. And, you know, so we just kind of struggle with that back and forth. And finally, I was working with a potter, amazing woman, Mitsuko-san, and, you know, I was talking, I was like, I, re- I want to do something small and, you know, nice at the end, because in case you don't have anything, I want you to have something, but I don't want it to be tea tea, I want to make something mm-hmm. from the farm, so it's like, we have the welcome drink at the beginning, and we bookend mm-hmm. it with this, like, farewell mm-hmm. drink at the end, and both come from the farm, and it's mm-hmm. a nice way to bookend. So we talked for a long time about the size and the shape of the teacups and how the, how they would come and we worked on it for a long time and it's like you know how projects are sometimes it's like mm-hmm. you're working on them and they don't take priority and mm-hmm. she's making a bunch of other things for us since so they gets back to the back burner we're going back and forth and finally it's like we had we got it and and uh going in the in the gm said i read this yelp review where someone was saying i'm not mm-hmm. going to give you five stars because you didn't you didn't serve tea with the small bites at the end, and I and it was like I, we laughed, and I said, "Okay, yeah, you're weak. Finally, you're here weak. we go. We're doing it." Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. I but, um, you know, well, for me, reviews, I I take them really personally and have a really hard time with them, and I should definitely be reading them all less, and I read them all, but I am really looking for the trends. Yeah. I can usually read them and know when we have a new cook cooking. Um, you know, on grill station, or I could tell if there's a new server that just finished their training. I can usually pick up where those are, but I think the trends are so much more important than, you know, the singular comments. Yeah. You know, we all love to read our, you know, our good press and our good things and and people will send us something or they'll comment something, they'll make a post or something, you know, like that. And we read it out and it's a great way to like at the team, you know, staff meetings and stuff to, you know, to just tell people like, Pumped look, up. this yeah. is how you make someone feel like right. this is how they feel about the work that you do. It's incredibly hard what you're doing. It's like, you're not getting rich doing this. You know, it's like, here's some satisfaction that you're doing the right thing. And we, you know, we love to do that. And it's important that we do that. 
but it's also important that you look to see the things that are like are not right and sometimes uh and our uh, wine director evan who's just brilliant and, and oh i adore and the him. reason why actually um why i didn't even interview anyone else is because when we were sitting when we sat down to talk and i was like how did you get into wine and he said well i started working in the restaurants kai in um in arizona and I really, really loved uh, hospitality. And I loved serving people and I loved the hospitality. And then I kind of really discovered wine through that. And wine was like, became the path to mm. how I could expand like the hospitality, mm. which for a sommelier is like always the opposite. Right. It's like I fell in love with wine. <laughs> and then, you know, then the restaurant work mm. is like a means to an end to be in the world of wine. Um, and not that there's anything wrong with that, but it was mm. just such an interesting, I had never heard that before. But, you know, he'll, you know, he'll get to some of these things and, you know, he'll read something and not as a way to like bring everyone down or call people out, but just to say, and even if it's got a little bit of a sting to it, you know, he he says, you know, there's always, you know, there's always some truth in there, right? It's Mm -hmm. like you can find the truth. And even if you disagree with that person or you say, well, you don't understand this or that's Mm -hmm. not right or, you know, it doesn't matter. That's their perception. And within that somewhere, there is a truth that Mm -hmm. you can connect to uh, and say like, okay, let's make that better. And it may not be necessarily the way that they perceived that it should be better, but it's the way that, that you can perceive that and know that because you understand your inner workings of like how we can do, um, you know, a better job. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, the, I mean, there's so many review platforms and there's so many various things. I mean, what's so interesting now about social media, especially Instagram, is that you get this incredible sort of view, this window into people's worlds mm-hmm. and the way that they perceive their experiences and their experiences with you. Because, you know, when someone, you know, at Single Thread Farms or tags us or geotags or hashtags or something like that, and then you can see that they're actually not, generally speaking, not actually speaking to you. They're talking no. to their friends right. and their, you know, right. whoever's in their their sort of sphere of influence mm-hmm. and their social circles or whatever. And so you kind of get to be this like bystander watching how they convey their experience. Like what images right. did they take? You right. know, what resonated with them? Mm-hmm. Like how did it make them feel like what words are they using it's very visual Mm -hmm. and it's very you know and it's very telling of what things that people sort of gravitate and what work well for them so it's so it's so kind of like incredible in this world that we have the ability to not only read our reviews of what people say good bad or otherwise uh, but but just to to see how people because it used to be right it's like someone come to your restaurant and they would leave and you would have no idea. And maybe right. they went to work and, and they're their friends and they told all these people what an amazing mm-hmm. time they had. You know, maybe they, um, you know, they told everyone how much they thought it sucked. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever it is. And it's like now it's like. Changed. It's, it's not. Instant. It's like you're watching the conversation around the water cooler. You know, right. it's like you right. can actually see it. It's so, it's so, um, you know, interesting. But uh, yeah, on the review side, I, you know, you really can't get too wrapped, you know, up in that. Just like you can't with Michelin or Fifty Best or any of those right. things. It's like you have well, to focus. You know? Seriously, I was. I have to say, one of my most devastating moments was for years we got the Bib Gourmand for right. for years, and then one year we didn't get it. Yeah, and I was 
I really was devastated. And I'm on Twitter and I'm like, you know, tagging the guy and just like going, okay, what did we, what happened? Tell, make me understand because maybe we shouldn't have been on there in the beginning. Maybe there were other places, but what changed? Like, was it one day you came in and your burger was overcooked or, you know, what? And so like, I think reviews are great when you can take something away from it, Mm -hmm. but just to like have that and feel proud of it and then have it yanked away was so baffling to me. And I still, I still don't get it because of course we compare ourselves to other people that maybe got it or, you know, or didn't, where you say, why, why aren't those people on it? Or, you know, and it's a very somewhat subjective thing i think for the most part people that get their awards deserve their awards but it was like whoa i still don't know still yeah well baby gourmet is very specific around pricing though oh our pricing is always there's people over oh yeah okay yeah yeah um but even you know interestingly they have to raise their pricing i mean what bib gourmand was at around forty dollars is probably $52 $52 now with yeah. inflation. Well, that's, I mean, yeah. yeah. And that, that'll be interesting to to see how that does sort of keep up with the times because obviously mm-hmm. those goalposts move, uh, you know, right. move all the time. But uh, yeah, I mean, was, that's... Yeah, it was the, fascinating. The, right, the things like the reviews and the individual people and stuff like what they're writing or someone, you know, or Michael Bauer, you know, coming mm-hmm. in writing a review, like, right, that's like very, you know, those things like really spell it out. Yeah. You know exactly like where what you yeah. what they think you're doing right, what they think you're and doing I was, wrong. I was able to converse with him. Yeah, really. Yeah, I mean, after a review, I was able to just say Michael, Michael Bauer, oh, and yeah. he he was kind. I mean, yeah. he wasn't. I mean, we didn't get a horrible review, but he was kind in sharing me the information that I wanted to know, and I think that helped us. You know get better in certain areas or understand but even winemakers that you know look at Robert Parker for all those years and said oh my god you know I want a 99 or I want a 100 and I'm going to make wine exactly the way he likes it well how boring is that you know well I mean toughest part of you know it's easy to make wine the hardest part of being in the wine industry and selling sell wine. It. So, so getting those scores. And I think yeah. our friend Jeff Cohn is one, is a good example of that. You know, yeah. he, did he, you see he got his scores this week yeah, from yeah, Jeff? Yeah. yeah. And, um, and you know, he proudly posts his scores oh, yeah. and, and, you know, I agree with him when you're looking to reach people that don't already know about you, then a lot of people look to those scores to look for wines to purchase. Now, if, now if you already know Jeff and you know his style, I don't need to look at Robert Parker's right. scores. I, I know what kind of wine Jeff's making. And um, but you know, for some people, that's a that's a big big yeah, deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you it, it's un, you cannot deny the sort of like you know the the power of you know of those kinds of things, Michelin and. And, uh, you know, world's 50 best, you know, for, it's just like it, it, I mean, we're, we're not in, I mean, we both, right. We're not mm-hmm. in a city. I mean, you're such a pioneer, you know, here too. I mean, the reason why we can be here in Sonoma County and do this is because of those of you, you know, the few of you who came before us and established that this, you know, place, um, is an amazing place to come for food and, mm, and, John, and, Ash, we're not Napa yeah. and John Ash mm-hmm. and John Ash and uh, and I, I would say and so many other people, but actually it's not so many other people. Mm-hmm. It's really only a handful of you that, you know, established and came here early on and 
and believed in this place and fell, you know, fell in love with this place. It's, you know, it's easier now as people mm-hmm. know oh, people are more educated and, 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 and now it's like we're standing on our own and mm-hmm. not in Napa's, uh, you know, shadow as, uh, you know, as much. And people know Sonoma as a mm-hmm. different, uh, thing. And, um, uh, but w- since we're not in a city, you know, we have to bring people, first yeah, to Healdsburg exactly. and then second into the restaurant. Right. So, you know, when and you're probably in, even the inn is probably even a little harder. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we only have five rooms, so it's, you know, it's, it's small and we wanted it that way uh, for, you know, for, for that reason. But it's like, you know, if you're in New York city or San Francisco or Chicago, sure. You have tons of competition, but you have millions oh, of people yeah. right at your doorstep. Right. And people visiting all the time mm-hmm. and you go, I'm going to New York city and this is my list of places I'm going to eat. Boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. I'm going to these places. And you know, when you go to San Francisco, the Bay area, as many people do for food, you have to say, I'm going to hit all these places. And then I'm going to drive an hour and a half to Healdsburg just right. to dine at one right. restaurant. And not obviously people aren't just coming up necessarily only, you know, for us, you know, it's more people who are coming to wine country for an experience and we are in wine country and there's lots of reasons to come mm-hmm. here but you got to get people you know there you have to first. find and they, out you have about to be, you have to be yeah. on your radar and they have to go and mm-hmm. they have to do that every day right that has to happen mm-hmm. not just in the high season that right. has to happen all the time right to make it to make it work so you know those things are incredibly um you know incredibly incredibly important but uh, so we had some guests in last night uh and the the, uh, the woman it was a family of three and the woman was celebrating her 60th anniversary, uh, excuse me 60th birthday and her and her husband had met actually in Japan um, uh, working um, and on, on a business trip um, out there and um, uh, anyway so they, after at the end of the meal I was talking to them and they said well, we were having this conversation and we were wondering what what did you decide to do first? Did you decide that you were going to have a three Michelin star restaurant and that was your focus? Or mm. did you decide that you really wanted to do it this way, the way that you're doing it? And that sort of just happened. And, you know, if I'm being totally honest, I would say it's really was was both. Although the doing it the way that we wanted was much more important. You know, mm-hmm. we always just said we have to do exactly what we think is right and feels right at all times. We have to feel 100% comfortable that we are making the right decision. It is what we would genuinely do in every situation, big or small, to do. And then everything else, we'll, we will see what happens. I mean, mm-hmm. we want to make it at that three Michelin star level. But at the end of the day, we have to every day make sure that we are happy and satisfied that we think right. that we're doing the, the right things. And so everything else has to fall behind that. And I think thinking about a restaurant, a lot like thinking about making wine, it's like if you just make something for those scores or to please something or right. someone, then actually I think you get diminishing returns from that in that you're not actually maybe then doing something for yourself. And that mm-hmm. somehow translates into oh, the wine sure. or for into sure. it's like if it's if your heart of hearts is not in something that you're doing then and you're doing it for someone else or for some other reason then that's just gonna convey mm-hmm. you know well yeah you're just making widgets right i mean you're yeah. just putting out a product at that point yeah and that's what i love about most wine makers that i know is they, they kind of do their thing and if the scores come great but everyone knows what robert parker likes um, right you can make a, a wine that probably 
whiskeys going to right. like, or you can make a wine that turns you on. I think, mean, mm-hmm. and, and that's same with the salmon restaurant. You've got to learn that I have a s- specific palette of wines that I like, but I'm not just buying wine for myself. I'm buying wines for a, yeah. a variety of different people. Right. So you, you want to have a lot of different styles on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Kyle, why are you making knives out of a 68 Volkswagen? <laughs> Perfect. That's a great well, segue. Yes, yeah. Volkswagen. So, I, that, yeah, but, I mean, we. I thought it was from a tree. It's <laughs> well, it's both, right? It's it, you know, it, it was in everything we make. I mean, we wanted to focus on you know growing our own vegetables and you know making our own olive oil and you know the chickens are and then whatever we don't make, we know the farmers. You know, we know where it comes from. We know who you know who family who raises our ducks for us you know it's like it's everything has been a project it's never been a pulled mm-hmm. off the shelf it's like either we make it or we have a relationship with someone who makes it mm-hmm. and that is like to can one to have things that really speak to us and that are really unique but two it's like to support the larger community right. of uh, of artisans which is so you know so important and so you know I, we can tell you and any actually anyone who works there can tell you every plate cup bowl vase table piece of wood thing on the you know anything in the entire thing they can tell you who made it what it's made from what the story is behind that and that's not, their mise en place the, yeah that's their mise en place yeah it's a long list of mise en place wow. uh-huh. but the you know the knives was a really uh uh special story for us it was these two knife makers from athens georgia called bloodroot blades incredibly talented guys they have a really long waiting list they're like they could hire more people. They could set something up, you know, to be able to put out more knives, but they don't. They're like dedicated craftsmen. Mm-hmm. You know, they just hand forge everything and they make they make these beautiful knives and they always incorporate something personal into it. So like a friend of mine, he sent, uh, he, he was a chef, he sent a piece of his apron from when he worked at Momofuku uh. and a piece of his wife's wedding dress. And they actually like... M- melded it into the handle so oh. it's like the two of them because mm-hmm. they met when he was working there and they got married and it's like their love story and mm-hmm. it's like you know it's this cooking knife but it's got this real like A deep meaning, meaning yeah you know to him and that's the projects that they do and uh we were good friends one of the uh, uh projects that uh, i did was we made a a small film uh, called Crafted with Morgan Spurlock, the mm. um, director who did oh, Super yeah. Size Me, guy we did. We did this uh, fun project together, um, this short 20-minute uh, film. Uh, you can get it on Amazon uh, uh, Prime. It's actually either free yeah, or it's 99 cents. I saw it. And it all goes to um, uh, a uh, uh, charity that has to do with, uh, with the bees and uh, saving bee colonies. But uh, it basically has three stories. One is about bloodroot blades, and the other is about the Nagatani family, who we just talked about in in, hmm. in Iga. And then two, and the last one was about two friends of mine, two chefs, uh, Courtney Burns and Nick Bala. At the time, they had Bar Tartine um, down in the city, who, real craftsmen, real makers themselves. And so we did this, basically this film about the, the modern artisan, the modern craftsman. And uh, I knew the bloodroot blades guys. I reached out to them. I said, hey, do you want to do this film you want to be in this film we're going to make with morgan and uh it's a great so it's like through it we kind of got to be closer friends and really got to see you know their work and this was like leading up to you know single thread time and uh i because i had worked for michel bra and he was from lagiole which the famous lagiole mm-hmm. knives come mm-hmm. from i thought well that's kind of like a piece of the story i should incorporate those in but so many people use 
the you know the the like guild knives and and they're uh, you know they're amazing and I, it was something that was just like i wanted to have something that had a little bit more of a, a personal meaning so we began talking about that so he they had made a knife for me like a japanese style cooking knife and they said well what if we shrunk that down to like a steak knife so it is like a, a chef's knife a japanese mm-hmm. shaped chef's knife but you can have in your hand as a steak knife and um so we had all of this wood from the farm, different trees and various things that had come down over the years. And and so we basically just cut these like pieces of wood and sent it to them. Mm. And then they took some of the wood from their cherry tree in Athens, Georgia. And then they took the metal from these like 68 Volkswagens. And then it was like these rings from a clarinet oh, factory because the, the, uh-huh. the, everything has a brass detail uh, in there and they just they forged these knives and built these beautiful boxes for us and so you know so all of all of the handles of the knife you, you know I have all these different knives and they're all each one's different but they each you know come come from the farm mm-hmm. it's really cool that's amazing can, and can, they do a sale they do a sale yeah. I think once or twice a year right where you can um, like whatever it's like a lottery, they, yeah. Like yeah. It, I can't yeah. imagine it's easy to get yeah. anything from that. It would be like trying to get reservation at Single Thread, and everybody is on their <laughs> phone at the same time, right? Or a, <laughs> a <laughs> bottle of Pappy Van Winkle, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Or yeah. Pappy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, can but, we t- talk a little bit about the the farm? Um, because you're also you're not only growing. I mean, you're doing all, you must have olive trees and you've got vegetables and you have fruit, but you also have a vineyard. I mean, you have grapes, um, that you guys, or or are you still doing, are you having a different winemaker every year? Make, yeah, we're having a different winemaker every year. We did. So we're on 180 acres of vineyards, all the Mm. original Sagacio family Mm. vineyards. So, you know, they established that property and bought it in 1890, basically established the San Lorenzo ranch. They're, family home in 1896 and started making wine there so you know they're a pioneer family of sonoma mm-hmm. county in north sonoma county um and we basically farm five acres on that property in between all of their vineyards in the russian river so there's a part is it all zen uh it's a mix it's zen, the original zen is there um uh-huh. but there is a mix of uh of, of various things and actually the russian river ava line in alexander valley mm. runs through the property so mm. it's kind of really interesting um, how it runs. And there's kind of a valley floor there where there's Chardonnay next to our farm. But there's a part where the, so the river runs through the property and then makes this big turn uh, before it, uh, uh, called Beggar's Gulch, before it comes through Healdsburg. And um, the because the water slows down at the turn, uh, they can't grow vines too close to that water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the soil there is not, um, is not ideal grapes but it's perfect for what what we do there so you know we we grow there we have incredible water table and a well um there and um so we really utilize that that land and there's a block of chardonnay montrachet clone next to us that we made with pete for the first year Mm because we actually have a small winery at the restaurant there's i saw it's yeah, you, you supposedly an, an the world's egg, right? smallest winery. Yeah, licensed and bonded egg? winery. Yeah, so we have one one yeah. uh, one concrete egg there because uh, that's the entitlements that came with that mm-hmm. with that with that property, and um, and so we made with our entire team single thread Chardonnay the first year uh, with Pete Segacio, uh there, and we did the whole process all the way through together, which was really 
a lot of fun. And now each year what we're doing is, is a different a different winemaker mm-hmm. every year is like the guest winemaker. Like we would have yeah. a guest chef come yeah, and do a collaboration. So, so mm-hmm. yeah, it's just a lot of fun. And we pour it by the glass and we uh, have it in the inn for, you know, for guests, mm-hmm. you know, to take as part of their stay. And so. Do, yeah, I was thinking how many, how many cases can you get out of one of those eggs about? About 400. 400? Yeah. Are you doing 400 each one? Not quite. One? Yeah. yeah, but you know, you, ha- you need a certain critical mass to right. make it the to like blend. amphora yeah. thing work right. properly because right. there's like that whole like very slow moving vortex yeah. in yeah. those. I so. was thinking like the whole time you were talking about the Denabi, about the amphoras up at Uncle Katori, you know, like thinking how that would so change someone's wine depending on, that's Remy. <laughs> Remy from Ratatouille um, but yeah how you know how just I don't know it made me think of that that clay and how people are really moving towards amphoras and they're experimenting again yeah. and and the terroir and then combining those two things it's kind of really cool I was thinking how different the kitchen must sound if you're not without used, the cause, metal because i'm used mm-hmm. to hearing you know all the, the all clads um banging on the on the yeah. stovetop so with yeah. those clay pots out must be a little bit more relaxing um, mm-hmm. yeah well because of the open sound. totally open kitchen too it's like we had these like this like matting made for every metal surface mm. which is like this like kind of um like rubber uh uh material that's on everything and then all of the drawer glides and everything and like the inserts there so that you don't because you have to think about that clang, yeah clang, clang, oh i i hate when i hear silverware forth, being banged around and uh you know that's yeah mm-hmm. i mean in this all the like the silverware organization is like pulling it back but then the marking trays too for the silverware so mm-hmm. when it goes down onto it they're all lined with um mm-hmm. with the you know, same material that's like on all of the furniture so it's like doesn't hit a hard surface and that's you know, kind of talked a little bit about this sort of like the multi-sensory aspects of the dining experience. Um, and you know, all of these little things, whether it's light sound, um, you know, uh, um, you know, tactile things, visual Mm -hmm. things, you know, even like, you know, the sort of like word choices. And when we talk a lot about like being able to convey visualization through how you explain something like, like give someone the picture, like let them sort of be able to visualize, you know, something rather than just rattling off a list of ingredients. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like maybe tell less in, less right. ingredient list, comma, 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 ingredient, right. comma, ingredient, right. comma, but just maybe a little bit more like in visualize. Mm-hmm. We're doing a dish now of all of the different squash that is coming from mm-hmm. the farm, summer squash. It's not important that you tell what everyone is, but create a vision of like, we have this abundance of harvest at the farm of mm. all these different varieties. And then we're like celebrating them all in one, um, you know, one dish. Yeah. So what does the staff get to eat? And sh- I know you feed them. Yeah. We, we put a lot of pride into family meal. I mean, it's really important to me. People are working really hard for long hours and, you know, we all sit together in the dining room too mm. at four o'clock every day and have a uh, family meal. And there's, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, there's a lot of love put into it. I mean, it's a lot of things from the farm. It's like mm-hmm. maybe the stuff that wasn't, couldn't be used or utilized or wasn't, at, you know, they selected for the right mm. size or whatever 
It was. So, you know, it's, it's, again, it's like transferring that energy from the farm to, to the staff so that mm-hmm. they, as a, a diner are also experiencing and sort of like that from the farm. And we focus on things being really healthy so that it's like people, you know, are coming and getting like a nutritious meal that's right. like going to help fuel them for, the you know, for the day. And we always, you know, we're doing, looking to do something different too. Mm-hmm. So that it's like always changing. Do people take turns? Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of goes like in the kitchen, like different sections produce different parts of it. Mm-hmm. And they make like a meal plan and, you know, there's some, a lot of flexibility in there, but we're always doing something a little bit different. If you leave, if you work in the kitchen and you leave on your last day, you have to do the entirety of family meal Wow! by yourself. <laughs> it's called your death row meal because uh-huh. <laughs> after that you're dead to us. Right. And, um... And uh, you have to prepare it, uh, um, you know, all by yourself. And so it's like a little bit of a parting, like, I'm sorry to mm-hmm. my other team right. members that I'm leaving. <laughs> right. You know, uh, but also uh, to um, to share something from them, from their culture or, mm-hmm. you know, from their upbringing. And so, you know, it's like wherever someone's from or whatever is like the food they, they grew up with or something like that, mm-hmm. they've got to make you know, make that's that. awesome. Is um, oh, I had it and I just lost it, and then it'll come back. But where where do you guys like if you're not working and where do you grab a bite? Is there you have a few places Around? that you love in Healdsburg? Yeah, not um, that you have a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, we don't. I mean, when we're not working and eating family and everything like that we actually do cook at home a lot i mean we don't we're there every night when we're in town i mean Mm -hmm. which is most of the time um so you know when we're when we are at home we try to like cook at home and we still cook a lot of donabe or you know we grill we cook mostly japanese food at home um but yeah i mean uh you know uh, there's a lot of great places in in town i mean i i think we like Capafina, a lot that we'll go mm. there, you know, quite a bit. That's like one of our favorite spots to go on mm. the back patio. We love Diavola and Kaiserville mm-hmm. Gun Club. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the Beautiful kids, kids love to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, um, yeah. It's, I kind of feel like you want something that is not like your food yeah, sometimes, yeah, yeah. like different ethnicity or. Right. Yeah. So I remembered what I was going to say. I think like an auction item, like I'm sure people ask you for auction items all the time, but like two seats at family meal. No. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously. That would be like, yeah, people would pay a lot probably for that. And then you don't have to give up seats in the restaurant during service. Interesting. Well, we like to do that. Like, you know, come out and like work on the farm for a day or, oh, that's or cool. you know, to follow like <laughs> put them to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A couple yeah. of weeds for the yeah. day. Well, it's, you know, it's like we've done some things where it's like breakfast out on the farm and then like work on the farm and then do the harvest and then mm-hmm. follow the farm, follow right. the harvest into the right. kitchen and then work in the kitchen mm-hmm. and specifically doing the prep tasks about the product that just came in on, you know, from the harvest and then follow that all the way, all the way through is, uh, is uh yeah it's kind of a fun and unique thing to do because it's like you know people say oh can you donate two seats in the restaurant and you're like yeah okay but they can just buy two seats in the restaurant right. themselves right it's, right. right why 
how are you going to make a lot of money for the charity for something that someone else could pay for that's not that it's not expensive mm-hmm. but it's not like big big bucks if you're trying to get money to uh, you know to a good cause so how can you create an experience mm-hmm. that's a little bit different and unique yeah i think so too what what do you have a few causes in sonoma county that you guys are kind of channeling your energy yeah i mean the last you know two years for us has been about fires you know really mm-hmm. all of our attention mm-hmm. like all of us here is like went to really focusing on that and and really you know for that year we did say to a lot of people we so i'm sorry but we are focusing mm-hmm. on home Sonoma County wine country in mm-hmm. fires and um you know we're putting all of our efforts into that and, and of course everyone was like really understanding I me mean, that hit very close to home you know for all of us and mm-hmm. you know it was really scary for all of us you you know you and I and all of us you know not only about what was happening for the people in our community but you know also to our staff and how it was affecting them and business and and you know and everybody and everybody. how you know the impact that was you know, is really having, and, you know, we've been, uh, trying to be very, very active, uh, in the whole process of welcoming people back Mm -hmm. to wine country, because I think that the media did a real disservice to us by, in the, for, in the, I don't know, vein of sensationalism, trying to make it seem like all of wine country had been burned down. And that's what people thought. I mean, people were canceling their weddings and stuff. I mean, I heard this, you know, a Mm. year out or, you know, something that very, you know, places that weren't, you know, even affected. And, you know, it's like, you know, it's really sort of painful. And that, you know, obviously the most tragic victims of the fires are those who lost Mm -hmm. what they lost. And then the secondary ones have been those who have been, affected by the repercussions because we are so visitor oriented here and you know wine is is you know the lifeblood of so many things and so you know when they can it's impacted we all feel that and i think people really took notice Mm -hmm. to that to how much uh, you know uh, how reliant we are on the visitors for our sort of like economy Mm -hmm. and the livelihoods and even if you're not in that service industry you know, everyone else is on down the road, right? So, um, you know, while they were happening, when we closed the restaurant, did you guys close? Oh yeah. We cooked, we cooked for a week. Yeah. I mean, we, we we were the same and I know we were, you and I were messaging back and forth, but you know, we, you know, we closed and we had all this product and it started with all this product and the walk-in and all these like tomatoes that needed to be harvested and everything like that, which is like, you know, we, uh, and it's sort of an amazing experience was is like we came in to you know to the restaurant and there's a few of us there at the gym and we're like what what are we what are we doing and it was like we'll start to close cancel start to mm-hmm. you know it was like you know calling guests and calling staff and like don't come in like we don't know what's going on and then everyone just showed up anyways like right. in their jeans and everything like they showed up at work because most of these people are not who who work at single thread are not from here so like this is their family and that is their home and you know this is like that's their community is everyone that they work with so they just kind of showed up and it was like hey you know while i'm like trying to think about safety and all the different you know various things and guests and you know what are we going to do what are we going to you know do uh you know they all walked in and were like 
okay what, how can we what, help what, sh- yeah. what should we do and then all of a sudden it just turned to him and was like oh wait yeah okay. yeah we no, this start is what it's about people. like yeah mm-hmm. let's start cooking and the guys yeah. were like okay come yeah, on let's go what this. are we doing and exactly. and you know looked at me you know for the answer and really it's like they brought in the answer and it was just like yeah okay guys all right, so let's go to the farm. Let's harvest a bunch of stuff. We got all this season to walk in. We're not going to be open for the foreseeable future. Anything in there is fair game. Let's start cooking. You know, it was like 300 gallons of tomato soup. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, mm-hmm. that we made that week. And it was like all of these things. And we started producing. And the first day we started cooking food, we didn't even know who we were cooking right, for. I was right. messaging I was, you. Yeah, like who needs food? And Heather Irwin. Yeah. And, you know, we're like on Twitter going, what's going on? And uh, service director Akil, who was somebody who was like, we had guests staying at the inn. And wh- one guy who was actually a, a friend and architect who's a photographer, he just, we said, I'm sorry, everyone, we'll, we'll help you figure out how to leave. We had a journalist from Tokyo, mm-hmm. and people were mm-hmm. like, oh, no, 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 we're, we're yeah. staying here. Yeah, we want to like, help. We want to help. We just kept them mm-hmm. in the rooms, like, didn't wow. charge them. They, yeah. One person came and took photos, everyone was helping cook. I mean, these these people were, paying hundreds and thousands of dollars to eat and stay the night mm-hmm. before the next morning they're like down in the kitchen making sandwiches yeah i mean it was just like yeah, no, what a was, transformation of oh, like of experience right it was like you know that we sent them off the bed the night before have a great <laughs> night we had a great dinner and the next day they were like well we're not going anywhere what are you guys doing yeah what do you need so you know we just went to santa rosa shelter that was kind of you know popping up and just kind of shut up with food and they were like oh we were about to make pb and j's and then you know of course heather and and her and what you guys all started and created you know it was just like okay what do we need you know and since then you know what sonoma family meal and heather and all of them done has been incredible we've Mm -hmm. done a lot of focus on that a few days into the fire i got a message from thomas keller said can we meet and it was actually the first time i had left healdsburg and i had to drive all the way over to yontville of course through you know mm-hmm. so much and actually really mm-hmm. see the destruction that had happened in that drive which takes you through you know so much of it um and uh actually up up and over the hill where the first house that we moved in when we moved to sonoma county mm-hmm. in santa rosa was gone so you know saw saw that and um you know, and Tom, it was myself, Thomas Keller, Ann Colgan, uh, Christopher Costow from Meadowood, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, a couple of people sitting in the morning at, um, uh, uh, at, in Yonville, uh, you know, with, uh, with Thomas at Ad Hoc and said, what, you know, what do we got to do? We got, we got to mm-hmm. start like doing something. Come on, let's like, we're, we, what's what's our what are we going to do and so the oh that was the event yeah so that started CIA. the cia yeah, event and, yeah. and there was representatives that they had brought up um uh to sort of help put the sort of uh you know the, the charitable side together and uh it was like well what do we need to do immediately then what's what are going to be the needs long term mm-hmm. and they were kind of sp- spelling those uh um those things out and that sort of started the, you know, the first event that we had at CIA mm-hmm. and then sort of the auction items that we were, you know, mm-hmm. we did together and the various things. And then we had several, I had a group of um, chefs over from Japan uh, in something called Soul of Japan, which mm-hmm. is like a charitable chefs organization in, in Japan. Back during the Fukuoka disaster, I had worked on some projects mm-hmm. with them on fundraising things. And then they got a hold of me and said, 
We want to do something for you. What can we do? Mm -hmm. So they all flew out on their own dime. And we did uh, um, a dinner uh, at at Single Thread, raised another million dollars, you know, there with all these chefs in Japan. And so the Napa and Sonoma relief thing really became, Mm -hmm. you know, really became the focus um, on the last couple of years of what's been really you know, important, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, to us. And it, and it, it's just really been incredible and heartwarming to see Sonoma Family Meal side of that continue to grow and diversify into what those needs were. And we continue to cook for those, right. you know, 50 families. And uh, even we did an event for the Leonardo DiCaprio Foundation mm-hmm. the next year here with right. 300 people. Right. And they had asked us to come and cook and do all these things. And I said, we will do this if you also help us you know partner here so we had a local um potter uh here up in pope valley mitsukosan new fires the richard carter gallery create all the dishware for us wow. for that night rather than renting that uh-huh. we can then donate to families and so you know it's like everything even if we've done something else we've you know tried to tie it you know back in you know and now you know a couple of years later you know i think we all know that the chances of that happening again and we're all on high mm-hmm. alert and and mm-hmm. i think if it does happen again, if and when, you know, we'll all be much better of like how to come together right. in support. But, um, yeah, I mean, we're involved a couple of things to make meals on wheels. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we're part of an organization called chefs for change. We just went a couple of weeks ago down to Peru. Um, uh, we were very interested because, um, you know, we do have such close relationships with everyone who makes everything, whether mm-hmm. we grow it ourselves or we know the farmer, or we know the artisan, but coffee and chocolate were like the two things that we totally, you know, we just don't have the same connection with them because mm-hmm. they're just Southern hemisphere things. And, you know, but they're a big part of what you do. So it was like for us, I don't want to say it was the last thing, but as a food product, um, you know, it was like the thing that we were like the least connected with. So we started working with this organization, Chefs for Change, and we, Katina and I went down there. We heard about a project happening in the San Martin region of uh, Peru so that's northeast Peru where like the Andes meets the Amazon and there was all these indigenous people from the sort of highlands and the mountains mm-hmm. who came down uh, a number of years ago to more like the jungle area looking for opportunity as life was really difficult for them and they essentially got ensnared by the cartels and put uh. to work running these uh, coca farms mm-hmm there's no government services out there. There's no roads or schools or hospitals or anything to people. And they were essentially just working for these cartels. And then the government finally came in and like to get rid of the cartels. And like they were making like the liquid cocaine there. Mm-hmm. And um, they just cut down all of the coca trees and left these like poor people who were basically like servants to them, you know, with nothing. And so this really amazing organization called TechnoServe, along with USAID, came in and worked with the Peruvian government to bring services out to these people, but also to train them in, in, in growing uh, uh, cacao and coffee and how to, and it's been this ongoing training, sustainably raised organic coffee and, uh, and chocolate. And... Um, and uh, it's been an incredible program, and uh, and and uh, you know we, we learned a lot about it. And so Katina and I went down there, having some issues with soil in different areas, and that's kind of her area of expertise. And so we went down there mm-hmm. to see. So we just went down there a couple weeks ago and started, started working with this group. So we, we just said like, we want to support this effort, but mm-hmm. also like, you know, connect. Yeah, you know, I really have no farmers. idea where my yeah. coffee and my right. chocolate comes right. from. It's like. 
I want to connect. And these people and their story is so amazing. And what they've gone through is just so just unfathomable for Mm. us. But like the spirit and the care that they put in, like they want to be producing the, the, yeah, yeah, the, the pride. And it's like, you know, they're learning about what it means, but that all they know is like, they want to be making the best coffee and chocolate Mm -hmm. and they're like getting there and they're like, you know, step by step. And, you know, they, they need a lot of support, but it, it was, it was very humbling and inspiring, um, you know, to, to see that. And I think really important too, just to kind of like get out of our bubble and sphere and see a completely yeah, different, there's a whole world out there. Yeah. A wholly different take on the whole world of, of food and beverage that, um, oftentimes take we're sheltered from, yeah. right? Just so. take for granted. Do you have an assistant? I do, yeah. She's amazing. Does Katina have her own assistant? She or do you guys that. share? Yeah. Well, our assistant's also an incredible graphic designer, so she does uh, a lot of a lot of that. Uh-huh. But she'll well. do like your plane reservations and Yeah, travel. I do a lot of those myself. Though. You do still? Yeah. I just like I I'm just mind. like listening to your schedule yeah. and thinking <laughs> <laughs> you know, how do how do you get where you're going? And get all these things done, and you know, you you high profile, you get to you know do some really cool things. But I was like, you have to have like a team. Well, we haven't. We have an amazing team. I don't think I've quite learned how to like let go of a lot of that stuff. It'll come. <laughs> but uh, no, but, uh, I, yeah. Uh, We're off. Actually, off to Singapore on Friday. Oh, I love Singapore. And then Tokyo I love on the way Singapore. back. So. Mm-hmm. So that's so it's awesome. World's, world's 50 best on this week. I know. So Congratulations. Like, so I mean, excited. truly, you know, it's, it's, it's so cool. It's just awesome. It's awesome that you put your dreams out there and you took major risks and you hire all these people and make people happy all day. And it's really cool that people are recognizing it. You did it really fast too. Thanks. People take cool. years and years and years to get there. So, yeah. Mm-hmm awesome thanks for taking the time to spend with us oh i'm so happy to be here yeah you're, will you come back you've been such an amazing friend and supporter of ours so we really appreciate oh. everything that you've done here in sonoma county and for us personally so oh, thank you which really isn't much of anything but um so people can find you on talk yeah which is a cool um reservation platform that's going really well and yeah no i think my wife said uh 11 madison park uses that she went there recently and she yeah. was like oh they use the same reservation yeah, system yeah. which it's becoming really the norm likes. now yeah, yeah it really is yeah and it's you know it's great uh for people who don't know how that works it was actually designed by the um the chef and owner uh, of alinea in chicago which is three michelin star mm-hmm. you know incredible experience it's more than a meal it's an experience Mm -hmm. um and uh to you know to really handle the kind of unique nature of reservations at a restaurant like that um and uh and to kind of get a lot around a lot of the problems that you know that restaurants have uh with uh with reservations and and bookings and um and uh you know it's really just essentially taking the same model of a concert or a, 
mm-hmm. you know, a hotel or flight in, in many you know ways. Or but you know, if you think about the booking, the you know, a concert ticket, it's like basically we don't use the word tickets, but you you know, you're 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 experience. you're buying that experience. You yeah. are you you now own that experience. It's mm-hmm. not it's not a reservation, um, and uh, it really allows us to have this communication with the guests in advance to really like establish this like rapport of like how they want their experience to go and dietary restrictions mm-hmm. and the and those kinds of things um and you know that they now own that experience but on the restaurant side and i think a lot of people don't actually sort of really realize this about this but it helps the restaurant provide so much more value mm-hmm. because uh to to the guests because we've always in the restaurant world had to factor in for like how many no-shows you're going to have and how many things that's like... So if you staff up and you get all this food ready and everything like that, expecting to have... Right. I mean, well, right, we only have like 50-something guests. Right, and you do one turn? And we just do a single seating, yeah. yeah. So, you know, if you have a, a four guests not show up, you know, that's that's a it's lot. a lot. You yeah, know, that lot. is, uh, you know, a lot. And if you kind of take another restaurant like 11 Mars Park who does... You know, if you have, you know, several tables or something like that or people, you know, people decide last minute, oh, I don't want to do this or, you know, and they, what, think, you know, yeah. whatever. It's just like the same thing, like going to concert. It's like, well, the show goes on and the, you know, the, the, those, those are your seats and you, uh, and you, you own them. And that's, I think starting to think about food and the, and thing like as an experience, you know, a dining experience like this as an experience rather than just, you know, as a, as a meal. And I think people don't really understand if you make a reservation somewhere and you don't show up how what an impact that really has yeah. it's not just in at a restaurant it's like well it's not that someone will walk in and take that seat if right. you don't show up after 15 minutes that's not happening it doesn't happen right it's not going to happen so. not remotely and yeah. i mean it's always amazed me that people somehow in a restaurant like i mean i think we have like a 20 or 25 dollar no show fee for parties over six or something. Mm. And, um, you know, people are like, well, you just need to waive it. You know, we weren't here. And I'm like, <laughs> well, if we fill it, we're happy to waive it. You know, we're not trying to make money off of whatever happened to you. But it's like, where else can you expect people to just give that to you for free and it doesn't affect you? It affects everything. Yeah. My favorite other stories sometimes that you would get when you would call people mm-hmm. back and say, you guys didn't show up, we're charging you. And, oh, yeah, and they're or like, the, oh, my, uh, my was, dog died. Or I've heard that one. Yeah. I've heard that one before. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, okay. at what degree do they go to until you, you kind of have to say, oh, fuck, am I actually yeah. going to charge yeah. them? And it's yeah. just a weird thing. Well, I and mean, things happen. Look, legit things happen. And we try to, you know, we have mechanisms for people to transfer. You know, it's like, right, you want to exactly. gift it to someone else. We have, you know, if we can have someone on a waiting list, you know, so mm-hmm. if we can do those things. But it's like, ultimately, you, you, you know, you do own that experience. And I have a great semi-regular guest uh doesn't come as frequently as maybe he'd like to or we'd like him to but he says he's like i would you know he told me he's like i'd love to eat in your restaurant more but i'm an on-call surgeon and so i never know right. if i'm going to get called into a surgery and i'm going to have right. to like last minute think so i i know and i respect the system that you have um but these things do you know do happen for right. me and he was saying but but he said but also i you know i totally understand because if i had this table for four this evening booked mm-hmm. and then I get called into into surgery 
and then just have to know, you know, no show to you. Right. I also don't want you to, right. you know, I know what sort of impact, you know, that, that you have, you know, so it's, you know, it's just, it's just like anything, you know, we all know these things in life come up and you, you could have plans for a long time and something happens last minute. And we always try to be flexible and find a way and find mm-hmm. a solution. But also there's plenty of people who wouldn't think twice about this. No. Well, you know, we came mm-hmm. to wine country, we booked at this restaurant, we ended up going to three tasting rooms and did a lot of day drinking. And, yeah. Happened. Um, yeah. Now I don't feel, I don't feel like yeah. doing it. I'm yeah. kind of drunk. And, and you know, it's like, it's changed so. also in Sonoma over the last few years because, um, more of the tasting rooms are doing food and bites yeah. and, you know, where, we were a restaurant and it was lunch and then now you know people come and they want to go to the girl and the fig but they're they're not ready for a whole meal mm-hmm. you know they're mm. or they drank too much and yeah. you yeah. know yeah, it's it changes yeah. yeah people aren't used to Mm-mm. day drinking oftentimes right. they show up at dinner <laughs> and they're just like you know some of us are at the table are used to day drinking i love day drinking <laughs> well, that's we're, right we're professionals exactly. right? we live here for a reason Kyle, do you have a bar, like a bar program, like where people can come in and just sit at the bar and do like a shorter version or something like that? No, no. In fact, we're we're just a beer and wine license and I never went for the full liquor license. Obviously, they're incredibly expensive. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was kind of like the same thing. You know, we have the roof gardens uh, and it's a long, right? It's a three, three to four hour dining experience. And so... While I like to have a cocktail before, you know, I have, you know, dinner, um, you know, I also know that sometimes it's like a cocktail or two plus wine pairings equals, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, don't too dr- much drive tonight, right? Yeah. It's like, it's just, it can be, it can become too much. And so, you know, I just, just knowing how much like sort of like wine and stuff it can be if you, you know, if you choose to do it, if you do, you know, do pairings or whatever, I was just thought, you know, I, I think it's better to not, just to not. I mean, we do, mm-hmm. we do beer and wine and you know, everything on the rooftop. And this is not to say that you can't do the same thing, but it just seemed like the addition of cocktails was just like didn't really serve our narrative that mm-hmm. well. Um, but you can't just come to the rooftop and have and then, a drink. No, and yeah. and then there really just isn't that space because everything is really dedicated yeah. and focused to the and experience. Yeah, and it's a very particular experience, and people stop by all the time because they can see the rooftop and they say, "Oh, can we go up right. there and have a drink?" And you know, one, it's just it's in a matter of like capacity and how many people we can have up there. But also, two, what ends up happening is like everyone who's coming, knowing that they're coming for this like long dining experience, like mm-hmm. they kind of they come in right prepared for that if you're just like coming by for like a drink you're just on a different wavelength right, no. it's, a whole right? Different it's like it's thing. just like a mixture of um i, I don't know I, I just i just it just doesn't mix well mm-hmm. for me and and we just like as a, no, as totally a space makes don't sense. have yeah i have you know a thing for that i love that if we did have kind of like a separate thing mm-hmm. to like to do that like a shorter thing because i'd love to do something that wasn't Mm-hmm. If you just wanted to come for like a little bit and yeah. sort of, we just don't or, have or that people space, that can't you know? afford it, you know, you still want them to have some kind of an experience, yeah. but we're just locals sure on a Wednesday night, you know, yeah. or something like that. But, but, but we just physically don't have the space for that. Could yeah. you do breakfast? Well, we do breakfast for our in guests. I know. <laughs> yeah. I want to come for yeah. breakfast, but I guess I'll have to stay. <laughs> yeah. I think that could be, yeah. The, we've like, we throw that every once in a while. Like, why don't we do like the like breakfast could. menu or something like that? And, 
I'm, I always get the look like that's going to be the straw <laughs> yeah. that's going to break yeah. the camel's back. Yeah. You know? <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. Right. Well, you said that you've got to get out of here. You've got a couple new dishes going on the menu tonight. Yeah. Can you tell us maybe about one of them? Or, uh, yeah. So we're um, we've been working uh, with all of the squash. My wife has all these different summer squash from the farm. Um, so basically, it's all these different preparations of the squash. They're all done each in their own little individual way. And then in the donabe that we were talking about, the smoker donabe, we've been uh, marinating uh, black cod in shiokoji. Mm-hmm. And then on the top, we put a mixture of uh, kind of a puree made from the skins of uh, some of like the larger zucchini as they get larger, some miso from Kyoto called Saikyo miso and egg yolks. And we brulee that on the top and then kind of smoke that in there. And then we're bringing the dish of all of the squash out to the table and the smoker so you can like lift the lid and get all mm. the sort of beautiful aroma of the, the smoking over the cherry blossom wood uh, nice. with the broth that's made from dashi and some some of the herbs uh, from mm. from her, her farm as well. And then uh, a little kind of basket that comes out that has some of the fried squash blossoms oh. too. So it's like all the different parts of the mm-hmm. squash all in one dish. So we're so excited. It's been a long wet winter. It has. So it's really exciting to like Finally have the summer food. produce, <laughs> yeah. you know, here. So. Yeah. I don't yeah. think we have a single tomato blossom on our plants yet. I don't think so. We don't no. have any at home. I've, I've eaten all of the radishes. I'm going for a second, second yeah. round on radishes. And yeah. I pulled some carrots yesterday. And But the squa- I noticed a couple squash blossoms yeah. this morning when I was watering. So I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. We're actually right around the corner. We're like two weeks out from tomatoes. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well, I don't know in the what greenhouse. we did. In our yeah. Though. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's what it. Those yeah. first plants. And are you know, coming. seasonal. Like I really realize that seasonal also has a lot to do when you plant, and when the weather is. Because we're like, yeah, we don't put tomatoes on the menu unless the tomatoes are in season. Totally. But one month, one year could be July, and one year could be August. Yeah kind of changes movable well, it's all the way through yeah. november which is so yes, interesting because you have guests who are yeah, not from here expecting come in in november squash. right and they're like tomatoes, <laughs> tomatoes? it's yeah. november I'm like, well yeah. they're amazing them. still yeah well it's just like skiing in july now yeah. i think they're still skiing up in oh, the sierras so oh I mean, my that's, god july 4th is the last day that's <laughs> yeah amazing. and Believe you that. know this is so crazy but in uh tanair mitage this past weekend they had a devastating hailstorm Hail as big as golf balls, like really destroyed a lot of vineyards. Yeah. It's really scary. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, on that lovely note, this was so fun. Yeah, Thank thanks you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Yeah. Great chatting with you and um, catching up. Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, last week we talked about Sherpa food. This right. week we talked about, you know, elegant which little um, um, little Janabi. update? I will I'll post a picture on Instagram, or maybe I did last night. Um, um, cheering, um, remember she was a little she hesitant about doing her first um, cheese presentation in front oh, of the guests uh-huh. because she had to she do it out it. in the lobby for the wine taste. So she did it yesterday. I got a picture of it, and she did an amazing job. Um, sold seven cheese plates, and, wow. and everyone gave her compliments on how knowledgeable she was about the cheese and the history. Very and so cool. it was it was really nice to see. So she's. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. She's, she's on her way to yeah. becoming a server, I believe. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, if people want to come to your restaurant, Kyle, they can just um, do what I did, I guess. Just go to the website um, and and um, go through the um, service that we were talking about. Talk to, I guess, T-O-L-K? T-O-C-K. T-O-C-K. Talk. TikTok. TikTok, yeah. So talk and... 
you know, you can't just stop by the restaurant and walk in. You've got to make a reservation. And it sounds like seven days a week. That's, um, um, what are you? You can't be there seven days a week. You've got, um, Oh yes, I can. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> lunch on uh, Saturday and Sundays. So. Oh, that's oh, right. Same menu, that's same menu, right. lunch and dinner. Yeah. yeah. Nice. It's really fun. I actually love the weekend yeah. lunch. Yeah. That's Such a nice. Fun experience. Yeah. Nice. Um, if you wanted to, uh, download some other podcasts, from The Bike Goes On, you can go to our website, thebikegoeson.com. You can also go to Radio Misfits, our host. Shout out to Ed, the pod father. Pod father. Hi, uh, Ed. Hi, Ed. You can also uh, get episodes of The Winemakers um, if you want to, if you're into wine. And uh, Sandra and I, uh, you got any shout outs you want to give? You know what? Can I just say that your brother looks like he's reverse aging? I know. Isn't that incredible? I saw him the other day. I went to to 16600 to try um, uh, Philippe Combi and Phil Couture. got together and did a rosé. And uh, Isabel. Isabel Ferrand yeah. was actually um, um, one of their partners on the on the project, and the the wine is amazing. But I saw your I brother, loved it. and I actually did, he said, "Hey, Brian, how you doing?" And I was like, "Who is this guy?" Oh my god! And because you he's, he looks like he's lost like ten years. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what he's doing. I, don't, I think he, it's because the kids are going away to college. Okay. You know? Like, okay. There's no plastic surgery, no dye no, involved. In I anything. don't he think he just he naturally would be is into any somehow of that. reversed no, into some yeah. Benjamin Button. Thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, good he for came him. Two days. It was awesome. We had a good time. Yeah. And then Aunt Charlotte stayed over my house one night. We had a fun day. Charlotte from uh, Chateau Fontaloupe. Chateau Fontaloupe and Chateau Neuf de Pop. Yeah. yeah. And that was awesome. We should have her wine in about a month or so. Oh, the project that you guys did yeah. together. Nice. Yeah. So very fun. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a fun okay. two weeks. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's get out of here. If you um, um, want to hit us up on Instagram, you can go to uh, we're on there at Bite Talk. Um, go to our website; got a lot of uh, stuff for you to check out. I will keep you all updated on the vegan process. It's been a week now. I've lost eight pounds, but not because of not eating meat. <laughs> it's just because I'm eating different foods, and I'm not midnight snacking because it's it's just a really different thing. Um, foods you can eat but yeah. i'm i'm posting some of the food on on our yeah, you um, instagram look, account you look so. actually really bright oh great yeah um, that's an, that was a compliment no okay yeah I, so i look smarter than i normally do no not not, not intelligence that okay. had nothing to do <laughs> so, with no, that I you don't just look, look energized okay yeah i believe it i believe yeah. it yeah yeah um all right. right well thanks for listening Signing we'll out. look forward to uh talking to you next week kyle thank you so much we thanks really appreciate it me. you bet <laughs> <laughs>